0: This is episode number 1,162 with Jonathan Fields. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Jonathan Fields, a good friend of mine who is an award-winning author, executive producer, and host of one of the top-ranked podcasts in the world, Good Life Project. He's currently the founder and CEO of Spark Endeavors and lead architect behind the sparkotypes an online assessment system to help individuals and organizations identify, embrace, and cultivate work that makes people come alive. And a lot of our conversation revolved around the ideas in his new book, Sparked. Discover your unique imprint for work that makes you come alive. And in this episode, we discuss why burning out is becoming more common in today's society and how to shift that narrative for yourself. The relationship between internal stress and physical pain, how to not self-sabotage once your life is finally in alignment, how to find out your own personal spark type, what to start doing with your life right now, and so much more. And if you're enjoying this, make sure to share this with a few friends and make sure to take the online assessment as well. We'll talk more about that throughout this episode. And as well, leave us a review sharing your part of this episode that you enjoyed. The most, the biggest takeaway that you had from today, over on Apple Podcasts review section. Okay, in just a moment, the one and only Jonathan Fields. Welcome back, everyone, to School Greener's podcast. Very excited about our guest, my friend Jonathan Fields, in the house. Mm. Pumped to see you, man. You too. Appreciate you. We were having a conversation before about how eight years ago we did one of my most important episodes ever, yeah. opening up about my sexual trauma and abuse. And that's not going to be what this episode's about, but uh, always grateful for you for guiding me, leading me, and facilitating that conversation, and many conversations to help me continue to heal certain things from the past and spark things for what I'm supposed to do now and in the future. And um, excited to have you back on. And yeah. this is all about asking ourselves and answering, what should I do with my life? Yeah. And, I th- and I think... Uh, that's that's what you know what we're here to do is to figure out what should I be doing with my life and what should I be doing with my life right now spe- specifically after everything that's happened in the world in the last couple of years. And I saw a stat in a recent report from Indeed that found that employee burnout is on the rise and 52% of all workers are feeling burned out. So almost half the workforce is feeling burned out. Why do you think we're seeing this rise in burnout, and what do you think we can do about it to start living a more intentional life that you talk about here?
1: Yeah, it is such a fascinating question, and you're right, we're in this moment right now um, that is, we haven't experienced before. You know, there's been this underlying dissatisfaction with the way that we spend a third of our life, like most of our waking hours for most people. Um, People have pointed to a lot of different reasons for it. (laughs) Maybe we'll dive into some of that. But the recent focus on burnout is really fascinating because you're right like that that is one stat there are tons of other right. stats like everybody is talking about this and everyone's trying to figure out what's underneath it and there's some kind of obvious things right there's the fact that when we kind of annihilated the separation between work and home in terms of like the actual physical it's setup. all
0: happening it's, it's work and home. right
1: so people you know used to have a much easier time creating boundaries you know there's sort of like okay so i'm i'm leaving the place where i do that thing called work even though the boundaries have been blurred a lot more in the recent years through technology there was still some level of boundary and now when it all exists in one space and most people they never learned how to create that boundary within the same space mm-hmm. it's a whole different thing and then you pile on an existential crisis a global <laughs> health crisis extreme stress and anxiety about well-being um, and we don't have the cognitive bandwidth to actually figure out how to remake our work world in a way that actually allows us like to breathe. And so I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think that's what a lot of people are pointing to. They're like, basically, it's the conflation of everything happening in one place, the demands of the workplace not going away, and people not being structured and set up and having the systems and process and boundaries to do it. Right. But I think that's not the whole story. Okay. You know, because I think we're pointing to that. But what I think we're missing is the fact that this is not a new problem. It's been exacerbated for sure. But burnout has been on the rise on every survey, every bit of research that I've seen for the last 10 to 15 years. Wow. Right. So this is just kind of bringing it to the surface because it was the perfect storm of circumstance. But it's been going on for a long time. And and I think there's an underlying Mm. issue. And that is that... The average person tends to wake up in the morning and go to do something that is not necessarily well aligned with a mm-hmm. fundamental impulse for work that would nourish them in a deeper way. And over time, that level of misalignment turns into outright conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, but we never really deal with it. We never address it. A lot of us just sort of look at work as the thing we do, right. put money on the table, a roof over our head. And, and, and it does all those things. And those things matter to, to everybody. Um, but there's this has caused a level of sort of existential crisis, where people are saying, you know, like not only am I working way more hours with no boundaries with the and no I don't understanding, enjoy doing. right? But also, we're, we're the fact that I'm doing these things that really don't nourish me um, are making it that much worse, and and everything is imploding. But there's an amazing yeah. opportunity at the same time.
0: Yes, and. There was a day after 9-11, you opened up a yoga studio. What, is that right?
1: I, yeah. So I signed the lease for, <laughs> I signed a six-year lease for a floor in building in Hell's Kitchen, New York, to open what I hoped would become sort of like, you know, one of the premier yoga studios in the city the day before 9-11. Right. Oh, the day before. You know, yeah, The day before right, yeah, yeah. 9-11. You know, I, I was married. I had a three-month-old baby, wow. a new home, uh, lived in the city, you know, and I woke up the next day and... You know, like everybody else, like my first thought is who did I know? Because everybody who was a long time ago oh, right, right. knew people in the towers. And then the next thing was, you know, what am I doing
0: here? Why <laughs> but was it was there a, a point in your career as a lawyer before then where you were yeah. feeling burnout or there was a lot of integration of alignment and what you meant to do and your skill set and so you're like yeah. so you started to shift into asking yourself this question, like what should I be doing with my life?
1: Yeah. I mean I mean it's funny because you know, um, this is something that's become really front and center in my work over the last chunk of years. But the truth is, the bigger question, the seeds really got planted about two decades ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working as a lawyer in a very past life, you know that? Yeah. And um, and I was working insane hours, um, just like nonstop, basically, 100-hour weeks with very little breaks. sometimes never going home for a couple days at a time, a huge amounts of stress because... I was a securities lawyer at a big mm-hmm. firm, and the stakes were, were you know, massively high, and you had to be perfect. That's what we got right, paid for, right. you know. And I ended up doing that. I ended up basically my immune system fell apart. Um, a a large infection kind of exploded in the center of my body, eating a hole through my intestine from the outside That's and crazy. sending me into emergency surgery. Wow. So burnout. What year was this?
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you felt burnout. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, literally, like my body was eating a hole oh, through man, me from the inside easy. out. It was beyond burnout. It was sort of like I had nothing left inside of me, and that was a huge wake up wow. call. This was late '90s. Okay. You know? So this is a couple more,
0: years before nine eleven, or yeah, was it like...
1: yeah, this is like '96, '97. Um, that was a huge wake up call for me. Like I went back to work after that, and, you know, like I recovered. I took a couple of weeks. I went back to the office. Um, but from that moment on, I knew, like, I had this question, which was like, how do we do this differently? How do we do this thing called work differently? Like, how can I show up and say, well, I'm going to do something that's meaningful, where there's a sense of purpose behind it, where I feel like I'm alive when I'm doing this thing, where I'm excited and enthusiastic to do it. Yeah. And there are a lot of things that contribute to that. But the seed, I, th- I think, it's because I've been trying to trace it back recently. I think the real original seeds for, for this work were planted
0: 20, 25 years wow. ago. Yeah. Yeah, And I've burnout. never let go of that question. Do you think if someone's feeling a physical sickness or pain or like skin rash or whatever, that, that they should be taking notice of those signs as part of like <sighs> burnout or out of alignment with your relationship or your career, like the physical manifestation of pain?
1: Right. Okay. So so first, let's preface this by saying I am not a doctor. <laughs>
0: yes. but <laughs> don't, a, don't play
1: one anywhere. Um, as an intuitive spiritual so, human. So let me talk to you about my experience. Yeah personally yeah i when i um and i'm under psychological emotional physiological you might even call it spiritual stress Uh existential stress my body takes the hit what i've learned over time is that as a multi-time entrepreneur and somebody who just works really hard i've trained my mind to a point where my mind can actually take a lot yeah but even when my mind is kind of like you know the world is spinning but my mind is relatively okay the tell for me is my body, my physical body. It manifests in illness, and pain, and all the stuff uh, you just laid out.
0: Inflammation, right? Whatever, yeah.
1: And I've learned over the years that if I don't listen, eventually it brings me to my knees. You know, because mm. and and I and, and I don't think I'm alone with that. I mean, I mean does it? Show, how does it show
0: up for you? Because I you can do of, a lot. Yeah, it shows uh, I feel it in my chest. I feel it in my throat. Like I feel like something's like strangling me. Yeah. Depending if. It, if You know, that's usually, like, intimate relationships in the past where I feel like, okay, I feel trapped Mm -hmm. in, like, my heart and my throat. But then, like, I started to notice, yeah, I started to have, like, this eczema that came out at one point in the last couple of years when I felt like things were unaligned. And Mm -hmm. literally the moments that I I eliminated those things from my life and just said, okay, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm not abandoning myself, or whatever it is, from what I'm supposed to do, it's, like, it cleared up within days after, like, months of it happening. And I was like, there's not a coincidence. I did all the blood work. I did all the right. allergy tests. And they were like, no, you're fine. Right. And I was like, well, what is this then? Like, why yeah. is this happening? But it was because I was out of integrity with my own. I was abandoning myself, no. essentially, with what I felt like I should be doing with my life. with I felt like I'm supposed to be doing, and I wasn't doing the thing I was supposed to do. Right. And that would it. Like, my body was screaming at me, stop. Yeah course correct
1: Well, I mean it's so interesting that you bring it up right because I know we both spend a lot of time seeing like a lot of different types of like medical specialists wellness specialists done every test you could do on the planet and it's fascinating to me that like when you go into somebody who takes a very holistic or functional medical point of view very often the first session with them is hours long and it's not just let's look at all of your labs tell me where it hurts me about They're like, right. Tell me like, about your relationship. Tell Like, how, how are you feeling? Are you stressed out? Are you sleeping well? Like, yeah, right. How many friends do you have in your life? How yeah. often do you, like, all this other stuff because there's definitely a growing acknowledgement of the fact that the way you live your life, that the, you know, the appearance of stress, the appearance mm. of, you know, poor relationships, It affects you in a really
0: powerful way. Huge way. Yeah. I remember Dr. Lisa Lisa Rankin. Yeah, sure. She talked about this where she was on, I think, seven or eight medications. And, but she's a doctor treating people, but she was sick. And it's like, I think it was something with like her relationship or her marriage was out of, you know, wasn't working. And once she addressed the root of the emotional pain, she was like, oh, I got off medication and I didn't need this for my body. I don't know if that's 100% the true story, but it's something like that. And I think it's um, you know this this idea of burnout or the body you know getting inflammation or feeling pain are signs. What's the, the analogy of like the frog that goes into like water and then it's like it starts yeah, to boil? Right, and it if, you, doesn't, if you if, you,
1: if you, the, the story that I've heard is yes. like if you if you slowly turn up the heat slowly slowly so slowly, slowly it basically
0: never leaves. It doesn't jump out until right. it dies.
1: Right. By the way, I I I've been told recently that that's an urban legend.
0: Yeah, you put a frog in water, you jump it out. It's an awesome story. Right, right. The story um, is like, if you put a frog in water, like lukewarm water, it won't jump out. And if you turn up the heat and it starts to boil, it'll stay there because it's not feeling it. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, you know, we need to go through some type of extreme pain for us to feel it and kind of wake up and ask ourselves, what should I be doing right now?
1: And man, I wish that was not the case. I, mean, I have asked so many people, I know you've asked similar questions also. I've asked so many people over the years, you know, who have made these profound changes in life, you know, and, and went through, literally, they were brought to their knees <laughs> they and, and they had nothing on, on so many different, you know, different domains of life and then found their way back. Um, and I've asked so many people, and I've asked great philosophers, uh, great spiritual teachers, scientists, You know, um, do you think you can actually really get to the place where they were um, without having gone through some big, profound thing like that? And almost to the one, the answer has been no, which mm, really bugs me yeah, because I, I want to believe that you can have a profound and powerful moment of reckoning, uh, realization, reawak- reawakening and reclamation without that. And I've... Probably spend a, a large part of my adult life trying to figure out what, what are the insights, what are the moments and experiences that we can create for people that would allow them a more easeful um, process mm-hmm. of awakening.
0: Um, but it's, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And I've I've been I have this theory that it's the scariest place to be as a human being is when things are really good. Mm. In my opinion, the scariest place to be is when maybe not really good, but when they're good.
1: Right, things why? are just so good.
0: What's underneath that? I would rather take things are really bad than things are good. Because I meet so many people that are like, you know what, Lewis? I've got a good life. Like I've got I'm married, I've got like my kids, I've got this this job. It's a good it's a good job. It pays me like, you know, I've got a six-figure salary. It's it's good, but you know, there's just it's not exactly what I want. It's not everything I want, but it's good just enough. To not drive them to want to make a change or, or see like growth in some area, mm. like it's almost like they're they're just okay, like it's good, you know. But I want more, but I don't know how to do it. Mm. And I'd rather have like, man, everything is breaking down right now because then I can wake up and go for you know something like what I'm supposed to be doing with my life and how I can really lean into that. So when things are good, and I know your your whole thing is about the good life. Uh, project but it's like when things are when things are good and you're not driven to do 100% of what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. you know you're like 70 80% of what you're supposed to do but not all the way there it's hard to get that extra 20%, I think. Personally.
1: Yeah. It's scary I, for me. I know. And like, we've had this debate over years <laughs> It's like, can like like, like, you just be
0: satisfied with where you're at? you'd be like, right. And so,
1: And I think a lot of it actually is, I, I think we actually really agree, but yeah. we just use different language. Yes, of course. You know, like, because what you just described to me is actually not not a good life or the good life. Right. To me, right. that's the, the complacent life of sort yes. of like baseline getting by. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but what I'm interested in, is underneath that, or whether we use the word great or good, yes. like underneath what I'm looking at the the qualities of the life. Absolutely. Right? Do I have a strong sense of meaningfulness? Yeah, fulfillment. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Right. You know, like do I have a, a sense of like immediate purpose and also a larger sense of purpose in life? Am I excited and enthusiastic about what I'm doing? Do I feel like I'm fully expressed, uh, in, in on you know on a personal level, on a potential mm-hmm. level? Yes. Um, and. I'm like what I'm more focused on, and I think this has been an evolution, just in my personal thought. Is like, what are we actually talking about? And I think when we're you're talking about greatness, and I'm talking about good, we're actually talking about the same underlying qualities. Yeah, of course. And I think the pursuit of those is amazing. And when you don't have any of that, then yeah, you wake up every morning, and the world is just not right.
0: Yeah, it's like the superficial. Like things look good, but you know there's something more for you. You know, you're like you're supposed to be doing something. Yeah. See, I thought you were going to go to a different place too. Really?
1: Yeah. Because I I thought what you were going
0: to say was,
1: um, when for some people, when everything's going well, everything's going good, um, there's a different uh, anxiety experience that very often crops up. Like what? And there's a different set of fears, which is all about loss aversion. This
0: is all going to go away, right? Which is like I built all this thing,
1: right? Like the, the relationship, the money, the job, the security, the health, all of this, like. Things are so good that I think there is a pathology that I've seen in a lot of folks, which says either either I'm not worthy, it's not gonna work, it's not sustainable, and I'm terrified about this all going away, or pieces of it going away. And then that creates an anxiety spin that actually leads to sort of like a contraction mm. in all of the efforts and all of the outreach and all the conversation and the honesty and the integrity that would let everything keep going. And then you inadvertently sabotage the a a genuinely good status quo without realizing that you're doing it by contracting and not no longer supporting or investing in it. Right. Not realizing that it's actually that contraction and like the you know everything starting to go away
0: is a direct result. How do we not sabotage when we are finally aligned (laughs) and we set up like we have the alignment with our. Mission or our career or our no. business, we have the alignment with like, wow, we're we're actually integrating the things we want into our relationship. We're aligned by not abandoning ourselves. Or how do we mm. how do we not sabotage ourselves yeah. when everything is going really really good? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> how do we not I, fall back in old patterns?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. You know, um, a lot of it has to do with. I think it's a blend of. Um, wisdom, so like personal uh-huh. learning, uh-huh. a commitment to growth, right? Um, inner practices. Yes. You know, whether, and, and those are the practices that keep you physically, emotionally, psychically, spiritually um, healthy and focused and present um, and able to be resilient and respond rather than react. Um, and also external scaffolding. What you does know, that? Mean? The circumstances in your life. Uh-huh. Um, and that might include relationships, uh, that might include your physical environment. Uh, that might include, you know like creating all sorts of default states that help you do the thing that you know you, quote, want to be doing to support the life that you're living without you having to every day consciously make the choice to do it. Yeah. Katie Milkman talks a lot about this in her work and her research on behavior change. Um, and that it's not just about self-control. It's not just about willpower. you know there's there's a whole bunch of inner and outer scaffolding. That you can create, that make it so you don't have to wake up every day and use all this cognitive bandwidth to make the decisions to make everything stay okay. Some of that you do want to be intentional, but there's also a lot of things that we can kind of put on autopilot mm-hmm. that will help us basically m- take the decision or, or take the actions that we want to take by default without right. even having to think about them.
0: Right. Right. Mm-hmm. place to start, and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What about if we feel like we're in a rut? Um, how can someone, do you think, get out of it through, is it through a set of questions? Is it through a set of changes in their life? Yeah. Is G- it through an- analyzing it? Is it through action?
1: know, I'm going to give you like a, an answer you probably didn't expect. Because um, I looked at like almost every system that you could look at Uh to try and figure things like this out. Um, And there's a simple set of prompts that I've come back to over the years that I find really powerful, and that is Katie Byron's The Work. She's great. Right? I mean, it's like, what is it, four or five questions, right? Like really simple questions. Like, you know, you're in a moment where something's spinning in your head that's stopping you from taking action, and Uh you make all sorts of assumptions about it that paralyze you. And you ask these really simple questions, like, is it true? Mm -hmm. where's the evidence for where's the evidence against Mm -hmm. Um, so I think a really simple set of prompts can be incredibly powerful with that if you're really in a rut where it's causing you mental illness or or genuine emotional um, struggle seek help Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously you know go and find professional help but I think really basic processes and prompts like the work are really powerful for me one of the anchors in my life is, is a meditation practice, a daily meditation practice. You know, I wake up every morning um, for over a decade now and I have both a breathing and a meditation practice that changes my physiology, um, but it also changes my state of mind. Mm. You know, so, so that as I move into my day, things may go south. You know, there, there may be things that drop into like, my day that I don't want to happen, that I didn't see coming that really just knock me back. But what I found is that over the years, that practice creates a baseline level of equanimity Mm. that allows you to sort of like be more intentional about the way that you move through it. And also relating back to being in a rut, zoom the lens out a little bit, take a little bit more of a meta view into the thing that is causing you this feeling of stuckness and be able to kind of say, "Huh." What's really happening here? Mm. Because usually it's not the thing that you think it is. There's something bigger going on. And if you can address the bigger thing,
0: then everything starts to free itself on its own. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, a lot of things where you feel like you're in a rut is you don't feel like you're implementing meaningful actions in your life or you're not, you don't have meaningful work. So what would you say are kind of the key factors to identifying meaningful work for yourself?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of people look at work and like you said, it's all about taking care of like the basic stuff. And it is. That all matters. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> we got to sustain ourselves in the world and feel secure. Um, I think the first way to actually really understand how to find meaningful work is to realize that meaningful work matters. Mm-hmm. So most people don't look at a job wow. and be like, oh, is this meaningful to me? Interesting. Is this opportunity meaningful to me? Is this project Will it actually give me the feeling that it matters I matter that there' a sense of meaning? We're not actually using that as a criteria to judge what to say yes or no. What are we to. using? like is it pay well? is it will it advance my career? Will it give me uh, power prestige status? Um, will it help build certain relationships? And again, it's not that any of those things are bad, right? but it, if all of those things are purely a proxy for meaningfulness and a sense of purpose and express potential mm. and excitement and enthusiasm, then you may find yourself super accomplished and utterly empty inside. That's true. You know, you've climbed the ladder, awesome. You've got the money, you've got the job, you've got all the stuff that like you you wanted to check off on your achievement box. And then you're sitting there and you're like, okay, so I don't feel the way I thought I would feel, and now. I've gotten everything that I tried to get. I don't know what my next move is. Um, and, and the answer is because those things aren't actually the things that matter in life. Mm. They aren't the things that make you feel good. That they're not, they're, they, they alone will not give you the feeling that you're looking for. There's got to be something deeper. Yeah. Whether, whether you do that something deeper in the context of your JLB that you get paid for or you do it as a role in your life or as a devotion or as a volunteer on the side, like if it doesn't get out, if it doesn't get expressed in some way, shape, or form,
0: that feeling of emptiness never goes away. It's almost like you need to chase more power, fame, money, prestige to try to feel something, but then it's never enough. Yeah, I I think
1: that's a a big part of it. You know, Um, know, we're we're in this moment now um, where so... Everyone's heard the term midlife crisis, uh-huh. right? The classic, you know, like you hit your 40s and all of a sudden you want to blow everything up and like, you like <laughs> yeah. regain your hair and like lose weight. And yeah. like, but, you know, and the thing, the thing about an existential crisis, an existential crisis is not a crisis of money. It's not a crisis of power. It's not a crisis of fame. It's not a crisis of, what it is a crisis of is meaning. You're questioning the meaning of your existence. Like because you show up at a certain point in your life and something inside of you says, I don't matter. And the thing that I wake up in the morning doing that consumes a third of my life, doesn't matter. most of my waking no. hours, doesn't matter to me and it doesn't matter to the world. And when you cannot find something that gives you the feeling of meaningfulness, mm. you experience profound sense of loss um, and, and that can lead to um, really dark places. You know, so what we're seeing now where people just blow up their lives. I can't be the divorce. Right. I'm going after this. I'm right. changing this. So, and- a lot of people will work for 20 years and then hit that point where they're kind of like, all right, it's just all built up, you know, and they almost cause it themselves. What we're seeing now is that people aren't raising their hand and saying, okay, it's time for my sort of like existential change. You know, the world has served this up at scale mm. to everyone. So a, a lot of folks have looked at generations and sort of like seen looked at their expectations for work. Yeah, I'm Gen X, so like we're we're the disaffected generation in theory. We expected nothing, right. um, and, and and just like put your head down and do the work. Right. You know the generations behind me. I hate to use like generational terms because yeah. it's like, but but the interesting thing is that like millennials, even though millennials is not one generation, it's actually like a wide range mm-hmm. of people. But like, so you fall into that group, yeah. right? I'm like an old millennial, I think, yeah. Right. So, so a lot of the corporate world for years has struggled because something happened in the generation behind me, where the expectation for meaning, the expectation for purpose beyond money, beyond status, um, has gone up dramatically. Mm. So, Since corporations, yeah. organizations that were built without assuming that that had to be something that was part of what they provided. And then they have millions of new workers coming into the organizations expecting that. Yeah. And if they don't get it, they're gone really fast. Corporations have been grappling with this in a way that, and they haven't figured out how to actually deliver this. Uh-huh. And now all of a sudden, the last 18 months happens. It's not just millennials anymore, it is everybody mm. who's showing up at work and saying, We want more. We want more. Like the way that I have felt for the last 20 years is not the way that I want to feel for the next 20 years. Mm. And I don't know how to make a decision that will make me feel different. Wow. Um, yeah. And this is this is something that um, the world of work is, is starting to grapple with right now um, yeah. it, it, at a scale that we've never seen before.
0: I've seen different studies and people saying like, okay, the work from home culture is here to stay and people have more flexibility and they're around their families more and they're, enjoying that, less commute, all these different things. But then I'm also hearing that on the other side of the coin, it's like, okay, well, company culture is down and there's not the connection, yeah. the in-person, and the productivity is down because it's blended between work, life, all at the same time with interruptions at home. Um, it's almost like we were mentioning before, it's almost like the, people used to complain about the commute to work, but that was almost a time like you, I don't know, you cross over from like, okay, here's my boundary, I do what I need to do to get to work, and then I focus, and then when I leave, I like clear my mind, and I get home, and then I'm at home. And now it's, you're working and you're at home the whole time, it seems like. It's almost like the the thing people complain about, the commute, is actually one of the best things. Whether it's 10 minutes or maybe two hours is not good. For sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, because it provided a transition window. A window. Not like, I'm in my bedroom, and now I'm at the chair in my bedroom in front of a computer. Right. (laughs)
1: And and, like we'd we'd already seen a blurring that over the last decade because of connectivity and technology. Yeah. you know, the expectation that you're always going to be on seven days a week. Uh-huh. and if like your device is on, then you should be responding. Um, yes. but when you actually then physically conflate your work environment with your home environment um, and you remove even that opportunity to like physically transition from one place to another, the problem gets exacerbated in a really big way. So like, all these things we were already sort of like spiraling down into a, not a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, but this has sort of like brought everything to the surface. But at the same time, it's sort of like you look at all the stats, and um, there is no such thing as disruption without possibility. It doesn't exist. What does it's that mean? not a natural phenomenon. Like disruption and possibility are two sides of the exact same coin. So if there's a massive disruption, Right? You may be reeling because you have personally been disrupted. An organization, an industry may be reeling because all the assumptions that they built everything on have been shattered. But that moment, that level of upheaval, uncertainty and stakes cannot exist without equal and sometimes opposite possibility being birthed simultaneously. Mm. So the question becomes when we're talking about like an individual at work is, yeah, like nobody saw, well, you can't say nobody saw it the last couple of years coming, but um, what has happened has been profoundly disrupted in a way that like we've never imagined was possible, um, and at the same time, like we're moving through a lot of pain, and and a lot of people had to figure out in the blink of an eye. Okay, so how do I get myself as okay as I can in the context of work? You know, there's a lot of other domains that they've had to do that in health and relationships, but in the context of work specifically and. They've kind of, a lot of folks have figured it out. Um, But what's happened in the middle of all of this is if there's this level of disruption, then you start asking the question where is the possibility? Mm. Because it it has to exist. It it has to exist. What's the
0: possibility right now? Right.
1: So I'll use me as an example, right? For, we've been in the podcast world for a long time together, Mm. right? For, the entirety of our show. Part of the the big differentiation was like Good Life Project will always be produced in the studio in person, like what you're doing, right? Right. We want to raise the bar from the earliest day for production value. We said no to a lot of people I thought would be amazing yeah. to speak with because they weren't in New York. They weren't going to be in the studio and I wouldn't do anything remote.
0: You were doing Skype or right. whatever. I yeah.
1: could not conceive. And you were doing all video and everything. Right. Yeah. right. I could not conceive of being able to have the quality of, of conversations, the safety, intimacy, and trust you know, in a virtual space. I was just like, I can't do it. And if I have to do that, like, I'll do something else. So for six years, we produced conversations in person, in the yeah. studio, in New York. And then I wake up one day and I'm like, oh, that's over. Can't do that anymore, yeah. Right, you know, and and in New York, we were the the very early thing. So New York was devastated and completely shut down. Um, I still remember the last live interview that we actually produced was Macy Gray, who came off the stage from the Beacon Theater, um, which was three blocks from the studio and like came in after performing and like that was it. Like Mm. she left the studio and we shut down. Wow right so immediately i'm reeling cuz i'm like are we done you know because this like a central part of what i'm about and everything we produce and what we're known for is these in person intimate things in the studio and i'm like but we can't do that like it's just not an option anymore yes so then my brain goes into the next mode okay so massive disruption didn't want it to happen still don't want it to happen But I know also that you cannot have this level of disruption without a similar level of possibility. So where's the possibility? If I'm feeling like I'm the one that's being crushed right now, where's the possibility? And I said, all right, so let's start to test all the assumptions, right? Katie Byron's the work. Mm -hmm. What is true? Where's the evidence for? Where's the evidence against? And once you start to realize, a lot of my assumptions were really wrong. Mm -hmm. And now how can we actually completely redo our production process so that we can recreate the trust and safety and intimacy in the virtual space. How do we experiment with different platforms? How do we change the way that I go about creating things? And then we started to realize, okay, so we're up and running again, but doing everything virtually. And then I'm realizing, okay, so I always believed you could never create safety and intimacy in a virtual space. But what I'm seeing is that everybody is in their home right now. So we don't have the cocoon effect Uh that I love. Like, you know, where we're like in this, where we're casting a spell in the same space together. Right. Yeah. But what we do have is the safety and trust of somebody being in their own home. And feeling comfortable in their own right. space. Which yeah. is different.
0: Not in their office and not in the yeah. Right,
1: right. Because everybody's home uh-huh. at that point. So it's different, but at the same time, it made everything okay. Uh-huh. And I realize we're having still like tremendous conversations. Would I love to get back into the studio soon? And do I hope, yeah, you know, like we'll do more of this as we Of course. Yeah. Then I widen the lens out. And I'm like, okay, so if my assumption has been we always have to be in New York because that's where everybody who I'm going to want to talk to, similar reason to why you're in LA, like everyone's going to be in one of these two cities at mm-hmm. some point, mm-hmm. right? Well, if we're actually producing remotely and our team is distributed around the world, you know, from the, the post production side, on a personal level, what kind of freedom does that give us? Mm. Well, we thought about living somewhere else.
0: Right. Not staying in New York,
1: so yeah. all of a sudden we find ourselves in September of last year. After growing up outside of New York, living in New York City for thirty years, pulling up our roots, you know, and mm-hmm. and literally like as I sit here with you right now, if you ask me where is home, I can tell you legally I'm a resident of Colorado. We're right. living in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, like we're pulled out entirely of New York, but we're also sort of like experimenting with different locations. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm and I'm traveling around sometimes with my wife, who's also my business partner. So we're in life and work together, sometimes with our daughter, you know, who's in and out of college. And so, so there's this kind of like magical possibility where, when you start to actively look for it, you know, that is all around you. Um, But when you're when you're so fiercely disrupted without seeing it coming, and there's a lot of pain that goes along with it. it sometimes takes a huge amount of energy yeah. to pull out of the feeling of trauma and uh-huh. sometimes support and help, mental health, like you know, support from your community, everybody, to get to a place where you can actually start to ask the question, what is true, what is not true, and where is the possibility? That's huh.
0: a really long kind of rant. <laughs> <my> <laughs> so if we go back to the question, what should I be doing with my life right now? Yeah. How do we start to answer that and figure yeah.
1: it out? Yeah, so... You know, and this has been the focus of so much of my work. Um, you know, even in before times, what is really, how do we find and do work that nourishes us, that makes us come alive? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say come alive, I'm talking about those things I've already talked about. Like for yeah. me, it's like five things: it's meaningful, it's excitement, enthusiasm, it's um, expressed potential, um, it's flow. You become absorbed in the activity and lose the sense of time and sense of actually you being apart from uh, the activity. Yeah. Um, and it's a broader sense of purpose in life. Um, so how do we find a new work that gives us that feeling? Like all five of those things weaving in and out of the way that we experience work. Um, and for me, you know, I, mm-hmm. I've been fascinated with this question for so long and a couple of years ago, I came to believe something I never would have thought that I would believe and that is this. Um that we all have um, a unique impulse for effort that gives us that feeling of coming alive. Effort you can just use the work instead. Like we're all wired in a certain way where there's if we invest ourselves, if we do a certain type of thing, then we get a lot closer to that feeling. Yeah. Once I started to feel this in, in me, I was like, oh I notice when I always do when I when I do this type of thing, I feel this type of, of way. I'm not talking about a job or a title or a company or a role or an industry. I'm talking really, really, really granular. I'm talking about like DNA level. Mm-hmm. You know, like So So when I invest myself in a particular way, I feel alive. And then I started wondering, is this just me or is this everybody? And then are there a mappable set of impr- you know, imprints? Um, because if there are, and we can identify them and then somehow create Ideas and tools that would let people understand what that is for you relatively easily. Right. a whole lot of angst <laughs> would, would go away and fundamentally, if you know like I want to make things that move you know, the needle in people's lives, you know that's what I want to do and that has literally been my devotion yeah. um, for years now is sort of like identifying those and then helping people figure out like what is that thing so
0: and I took this uh, you have this book. Called Spark, discover your unique imprint for work that makes you come alive. And there's kind of a, a quiz that you can take online. And I took the quiz, and it kind of it tells you your Spark type. Yeah, how many Sparks have you? nine?
1: So there are ten. Ten, and, spark and I'll types. break it down for you, yeah. right? So, um, yeah, one, once I identified these imprints, I also realized, okay, so so we found these ten impulses, these ten imprints for work. Um, it also became really clear that each one of these kind of comes with its own. Uh, behaviors, tendencies, and preferences that are really common. They're fairly universal for each one of them. And you know, like can be expressed in a really healthy way and, and uh, also yeah, a really yeah. neurotic way. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing to see like a larger archetype form around these. So I call them sparkotypes just because it's fun. It's uh-huh. the archetype that sparks you. Um, but this was still my idea. And I needed larger scale validation. So mm. we built an assessment over a period of a year. We've now had about 500,000 people Complete the assessment. Twenty-five million data points wow. and gotten some really powerful validation from what started as an observation wow. years ago. Um, and you know, so for me, my and and the spark types you, you basically break down to a profile, and okay. there are three things that are part of that profile. So we can talk about like yours yes. if you want, right? Yeah, yeah. So and first, I'll tell you what the three elements are. Then let's talk about what yours is. Okay. I think it's really fascinating. Um, so there's what I call the primary spark type. Think of that as your strongest impulse for work that makes you come alive. This is about work, or this is about life in general. It's more about work. Okay. It's a really good question because when I use the word work, I'm I'm including all of the ways that you could actually devote yourself to effort. Okay, it, it could, could be, be a the job thing you get
0: paid for, or it could be just it like it could be being a
1: parent. Yep, gotcha. It could be being a volunteer. It could be like the the art that you do on the side because you just can't not do it because mm-hmm. of the feeling that it gives you mm-hmm. you know it's really yeah. nice when you can make it the thing that you wake up in the morning spend eight to ten hours a you know a day and, and get paid for it that's awesome when you can right, do it right. you can't always do it but a lot of times you can get way closer than you thought you could once you realize what that thing is mm-hmm. so the primary sparkotype is your strongest impulse then we have what we what i call the shadow and that's not mm-hmm. like the dark side Right. I call it the shadow because it lives in the shadow of the primary. Okay, and you can look at that in one of two ways, right? You can either say, it's like "Well, secondary." It's almost. like the runner-up, but what we we've, we've teased out a much more nuanced relationship over the years, and that is this: most people do the work of their shadow in order to be able to do the work of their primary mm. better, mm. right? And we'll break that right. down in right. a second. And then there's a third piece of the profile. And that's what I call your anti type.
0: So what you don't like, when right. you're not. Meant this to is do. the work where like don't do this.
1: Yeah. If you have to do it, it's just it's emptying. You literally draining. you'll do everything you can do to not have to do this. When you do it, you know it takes the greatest amount of recovery. Oh, and the thing is, for a lot of us in everyday life and in our jobs, we do have to do some of that work. Of course, it is what it is. You know, but knowing that there's something deeper that makes you feel this way, it helps you frame it in a way where you understand what's really happening. Where you don't picture yourself as a lazy or just not devoted or incompetent. Mm-hmm. You actually understand there's something deeper going on. Right. And on a team basis, when you're working with other people, when everyone understands the impulses at both ends of the spectrum, it becomes an experience where you can really optimize. And also there's a lot of forgiveness and shame loss that becomes a part of this, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't feel a sense of shame for not rising up because there's something else going on. Again, you may still have to do it, but at least like you, you there's a more forgiving emotion wrapped around it. Um, so those are the three parts of, of any given person's sparkotype profile. Okay. So let's talk about you. Yeah. So my my primary is the maven. Right. So so the fundamental energy of the maven is all about knowledge acquisition. right? And that shows up in a couple of different ways. For mm-hmm. some people, it shows up in this just like broad interest in everything. You wake up in the morning and you just want to dive into fascinations topics of interest people like you'll talk to everyone on the planet you want to know their story you don't want to use it for anything else you're not solving just a curious. big problem you just <laughs> want to know and you Sweet. have no idea yeah you know like everybody that you bump into you just want to know yeah right it also shows up in sometimes really really specific ways we talked about this recently because uh-huh. right? we go back a long time and when i first met you you know you, you're not you' right, right? not off your yeah. sister's couch for that <laughs> yeah, right long, Right. yeah right and you had you had kind of said okay so I'm kind of done with being a pro athlete yeah but that was sort of like the only thing that I knew I devoted my entire life to this so I'm gonna look at this thing called LinkedIn at mm-hmm. the time and it, I'm going to learn everything on the planet about yes. it I'm gonna know Obsessed. more about this platform than anyone and I'm yeah. gonna just dive into it Right, and you became absolutely possessed
0: yes. with being like <laughs> yes. the
1: one person who knew yes. more than anything, uh, you know, about the platform. Uh-huh. So it's it, like I've seen this show up in your life broadly, yeah, and I've also seen you go like you just you find rabbit holes, yeah, yeah. right? And sometimes there's some like really good like other thing you want to use the knowledge mm-hmm. for, but sometimes it's just like so fascinating, just the process mm-hmm. of learning, becoming encyclopedic about yeah. something
0: in particular. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I love learning multiple skills and having just a tool belt. Of skills that I've acquired, where yeah. I, maybe I obsessed for three months, maybe it was a year, maybe was, you know I did that with public speaking, with yeah. salsa dancing, with, you know, I'm in Spanish lessons now, it's like all these different things, podcasting, right. it's like whatever, it's just like obsessing right. for a period of time to and, learn.
1: And what's interesting is for a lot of mavens, from the outside looking in, People think that the core drive is the things that they're creating with the knowledge that they're uh, accumulating, mm-hmm. and that's nice. You know, it's great that you've been able to build like, a powerful career and affect right. a lot of people's lives and like, a show that makes a really big difference. Right. And at the same time, at the end of the day, for you, like this is almost like in part a funding engine for your relentless desire to just go deep and learn and oh. learn and learn discover new things and like go deep into that sort of knowledge right. acquisition rabbit hole. Right. So
0: that's the primary
1: for so you. There that's is, not the
0: whole thing. Right. So there is this sense of like, okay, because you have all these, these, questions are very interesting that are in the uh, assessment. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I think one of them was like, do you want to, do you want to learn for learning's sake or do you want to learn to create something to like better something? And it's like, there's, there's all these different types of questions. Yeah. Uh, so that's the primary, the maven for me, the shadow is the maker. Right. What is the maker? So,
1: so the maker for me is is my primary. That is my, my main impulse. And that's all about making ideas manifest.
0: It's like turning an idea into- A thing. And I've always thought of myself as an alchemist where it's like, I love to turn ideas into a reality, whether it's like, I want to learn a skill and be able to apply it. I have an idea. I want to launch a book or a podcast- yep. So yeah. what you've also said is, like, they might be complementary, like, one, two. Yeah, and, and, kind and like- they could
1: they could kind of be, like, fairly close impulses. Yeah. Um, and they, they often work, they, they kind of, like, tag team with each other because they serve each other yeah. in a really, really powerful way. Right. You know, so for me, the maker showed up in my life. I was the kid when I was, like, eight or nine years old where, you know, like, I would have my parents drive me to the town dump. We throw bike parts into the back of the old Chevy Blazer, mm-hmm. and then I go home and duct tape them together into Franken bikes. Right? You know, and I've been making things from the time—literally, I cannot remember a time in my life where I didn't open my eyes and be like, "What can I create today?" Mm-hmm. You know, I'm obsessed. Cool. I'm driven by the impulse to make stuff.
0: Um, so you're the maker. That's yeah. your main thing, yeah.
1: And that's shown up as books. It's shown up as companies. It's shown up as experiences, events. Mm-hmm. The fundamental energy is idea to something. Right. Okay. So that's my
0: secondary. Right. So shadow. that's like
1: the, the high end of like that's yes. that's the like the strong impulsive for you. Right, right. Now let's talk about your anti sparky The anti
0: spark type is the essentialist.
1: Right. Okay. So you and I share an anti sparky type. <laughs> we have the same type of Yeah, we we have similar yeah. profiles. Um my 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 top end is I'm a maker scientist, so maker primary and oh, scientist okay. shadow. So I'm like I make stuff And then I figure out complex things but it's almost always in service of being better at the creation process. Yeah, Yeah. Like I don't just go down a rabbit hole because there's a really cool complex thing that I just want to like solve this huge big burning Mm -hmm. question. And and, an actual scientist sparkotype would be driven by that. I do it I get to the point where i figured out what i need to figure out to go back to the creation process mm. so the anti-spark <clears> of <throat> right that's your your weakest impulse or the thing that empties you the most takes the greatest amount of recovery so the essentialist the primary essentialist S- 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 the impulse is to create order from chaos mm. it's about systems it's about process it's about clarity it's about a lot of granular it's taking complex data sets system, processes steps all these things that need to happen like Behind the scenes production for the show, guaranteed. Yeah. You've got spreadsheets, you've got platforms, you've got a ton of moving. I can't pieces. deal with like, though. We have we have like for our show we have we have around forty episodes in production at any given time. Wow, I can't like I have when I look at at that, I just want to cry. Right, right. <laughs> like Mike, because my impulse is run when I see that. And whereas, some people
0: see that like this is a beautiful piece of art. Right.
1: So our producer is an essentialist. And she looks at that and she's like, yeah, let me add it. Like, I want to build out these systems. I want to run them. I want to optimize them. I want to make them function better. Mm-hmm. I want to create order and, and clarity rather than chaos. Um, and I want to make it, I, I want to create utility from it also. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when you're not an essentialist, having to do the work of an essentialist is experienced generally as, not fun in a really big way like i when i think about that in any company i've built in the past that type of work before i really even understood this about myself it would always be the thing that if i had to do it i would do it for as long as i i had to do it because that's what you do when you're starting a Uh business and you're bootstrapped but as soon as i was sort of like well enough resourced um to have the ability to hand it off or delegate it or contract it out it's it would be the first thing yeah um and also because there are people where that impulse is primary they wake up in the morning and they're like let me add it you know so why not have that person aligned with that work absolutely because then they're going to show up wanting to do it they're doing it because of the feeling it gives them and the fact that actually it's a full-time job and you can Mm -hmm. support yourself that's awesome but they're probably also doing things on the side on a volunteer basis or a, a free basis that are really similar, just because of the feeling that it gives them. Yeah. But for me and you, not that. No, nah, I'm gonna run <laughs> from that stuff.
0: Yeah. It's almost like if taking this could really help you discover like what I should do with my life and what meaningful work I should be doing, or is maybe this is why I'm feeling like I'm in a rut or avoiding things or I feel yeah. like I'm resistant to doing certain work that I'm supposed to do. No. Because it's not what you're aligned to do, and it's also it seems like it could be an assessment that. You get to potential people that you want to bring on your team and say, is this person going to be a good fit for this role?
1: You know, it's interesting because I've been asked a lot. We've started doing a fair amount of work um, with, this, with this body of work in organizations in the context of leadership and engagement and team dynamics. And I've been asked, like, is this a hiring tool? Like, should we use this to hire people? And my answer is actually no. Mm. Like, I don't think this or really any other of the mainstream assessments that are on the market for organizations right now are really well used that way. I, my take is, it's actually, a, it's a great tool to look at the people you have, who you love, who are a good culture fit and figure out, okay, so how do we navigate what they're doing? How do we how do we give them a set of tools and, and some insights that mm-hmm. will help them really understand how to um, contribute to their role, to mm-hmm. their work, to the organization, to their lives in a way which is gonna be most nourishing for them. And then within the context of the organization, Potentially say, okay, so like, how can we support that? Like, does it mean that you're doing this type of work? Are you job crafting or re optimizing, Uh reimagining what you're doing in a way that goes beyond the job description that you were first brought in to do? But maybe it's actually going to make you not just happier, but more fulfilled, Mm -hmm. a stronger sense of meaning, um, and allow you to access that sense of potential that you know is there. So, you know, one person who I know uh, I've spoken with um, who Runs two different companies, um, has described it to me as it's been a really powerful way to remove friction within teams, within individuals' experience of work and organizations. It's just like it's like the wheels are greased. Everything just works easier. There's less tension. There's less friction because people are showing up doing more of what actually makes them come alive. Right. Right. Man.
0: So it's not necessarily a hiring tool, but but more of a optimization yeah. of team. I think so, and I, I think on make, sure, make sure you're aligned to what yeah. you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Right
1: from an organizational standpoint, yes, and then just from an individual standpoint, where it's like, you say, how do we help human beings flourish? You know, the more that you understand what is that impulse that makes you come alive, and you can show up and do it, the better off you are as an individual, and the right. more you're going to contribute to society and show up as your best, which. At this moment in time, we, we really need you know more than ever.
0: Absolutely. What's the link to, to the assessment?
1: Um, it's can a, can... you can just find it at
0: sparkatype.com. Yeah. Spark a type. Yeah, e spark e Sparketype. sparketype.com. Yeah, um, uh, it's free. People can take this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And, and that was sort of like one of my commitments is, um, you know, I wanted to make the, the the core tool that we created. You know, initially, in no small part to to test and validate the idea, and now just to be available publicly as a tool. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that needs to be accessible. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So rather than um, you know a lot of sort of corporate style um, things, you know, right now where they're behind some sort of a gate. Um, yeah. I feel like at this point,
0: this tool just should be available for everyone, especially at this moment in time. Absolutely. Yeah. What about what are the best ways you've learned how to maximize and multiply our time to being more effective, more efficient?
1: Hmm. Yeah. And our
0: hobbies, our passions, our work, like yeah, this some is, strategies you have?
1: This, so this is not going to be a super granular strategy. <laughs> but I, I'm always I, I'm kind of like a meta thinker. Uh-huh. Um, um, you know, like a little bit like our, our mutual friend Tim Ferris in that way. Right? Like I'm always sort of like zooming out and saying, like, what's the system at play mm-hmm. here? And how do we where's the lever? I'm always in yeah. search of levers. Yes. Right. Um and to me, um, being able to discern what actually matters mm. is the ultimate optimizer, you know. Because you can optimize all the different. There's all sorts of tools and apps and platforms that you could use, or strategies that you can use to optimize what you're doing every day to make it more efficient, and quicker. And those will make differences. But the bigger issue is, what should I just not be doing at all? Right, What should be eliminating. Right you know what do i actually need to pull out of the system mm. what what is the thing where it's taking 40% of my time but you know it's only contributing 2% to whatever outcome that i genuinely care about in my life in the work you know or whatever's yeah. being measured yeah. and i think when we start to ask that question then we gain the ability to understand what really matters and what to focus on rather than just looking at like all the things that we do on a regular basis and say, how do we optimize all of these? Like, what's the technology? Mm-hmm. Zoom the lens out and, like, like optimize that. your discernment engine yes. and understanding what truly matters. What is the big lever in whatever metric is being measured and in the way that I want to
0: feel? Yeah, eliminating tasks that aren't meaningful right. is and, and, the best way to multiply your right. time. <laughs> I, I've seen you do that over the years.
1: Yeah. You know, like, you have a team. Like, there are yeah. things that you're I'm really doing good at and, and trying you'd to be love perfect. to do. Yeah, right, yeah. and there are other people on your team where there, that doesn't mean things don't need to get done. Right. But it doesn't necessarily mean like you should be the one doing them and then optimizing to do them better. Yeah, I was
0: telling Matt this even last week. Uh, Matt on my team, I was like, what can I do to like eliminate more and more things? and Just yeah. focus on the thing that I'm really good at and how do I double down on those things yeah. to, to multiply what we're creating, impact, income, all, this, all that stuff. And to just feel more fulfilled in my work as well. Yeah. So he was like, well, we don't need to do these two meetings every week. Like, we can just do an email debrief for you and save an hour there. We don't need to be doing this with you in it. Like, you should be focusing on the other things to get you more ready, more focused for the interviews, booking guests, being out there, networking now that we can be out in the world, and all that stuff. And not being in meetings all day. Right. For me. Yeah. Which is like more about organization and everything. And I'm like, that stresses me out. You know, the essentialist yeah. stresses me out.
1: So, But that's what we're talking about, right? So rather than saying, like, rather than Matt saying, well, Lewis, let's take a whiteboard mm-hmm. and let's map out everything that you're doing and figure out, like, what are the, the, what's the technology? What are the platforms? How can we do this more efficiently? He was like, no, no, no. Just like, let's out. just talk about what you shouldn't be doing yeah. at all. Yeah. You know, because that's the biggest
0: optimizer. Uh-huh. And I think the... The test for people is like when they start to eliminate things and they see like they have more space in their calendar, they tend to fill it with some other busy work somehow. (laughs) So I'm going to check email or social media. I'm going to be distracting myself. But it's like really scheduling the things that you need to be doing, in my opinion, and making sure that my time is scheduled for free time. Like I try to schedule in like nothing. I'm just going to goof around or have idea time as opposed to just checking social media or email. A hundred percent. And and eliminating all that stuff the, the most that you can. So that's what I'm trying to deal with with my time.
1: Yeah. Like if, if you look at my calendar right now, like I keep a digital calendar and, and I have certain critical things in different colors. But then there's also a block that you see all over my calendar with the letters KF in it. That just means keep free. Keep free. Yeah. Keep free. For whatever. Maybe you're to do a meeting, maybe you do a right. call, maybe you relax, right. maybe you're in nature. Exactly. Maybe you're... And I'm like literally unscheduled. Like cool. I'm hanging out here, you know, and, and I've been in, in LA and Santa Monica for a little bit now. And I'm realizing at a certain point that I'm three blocks from the beach. I, I'm a water kid. I grew up on the water. Yeah. Water is the place where I touch stone. It's where I, like, I breathe. I, everything exhales in me. Mm. And I'm realizing I'm like three days into a, like a 10-day window here. And I haven't seen the water yet. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, I have the ability to walk three blocks. <laughs> yeah. right? There's, I can completely rearrange my schedule mm-hmm. because this actually matters to me. This nourishes me. It makes me feel good. I'm literally adjacent to this thing that gives me like a sense of life. And I'm, I'm just fi- literally filling in busy work that's stopping me yeah. from doing So I immediately reorganized what I was doing. And now I end every day. I just literally go down. I walk along like the ocean. I don't even go in it. Mm-hmm. And then I go and then I just sit and like while the sun is dropping behind the mountain, you know, like north of Santa Monica, yeah. I meditate. It's beautiful. And it's like, it's completely transformed me being here. Because because I
0: realize that matters to me. Absolutely, are you gonna move out here? You think? Yeah. Nah. <laughs> Be by the ocean, man. So <laughs> Mark calling your name. or like Newport Beach or yeah. Manhattan Beach or something. Yeah. Um, Sparked. Discover your unique imprint for work that makes you come alive. Make sure you guys get the copy of this. Take the uh, Spark E type. Spark E type. Yeah. And if you test. happen to drop the E from the URL, we own the mystery. Yeah, we will still sharp. Spark E type, right? Dot com um, a lot of good stuff in here that'll explain all the different types, yeah and give you kind of like application on how to implement certain things how to yeah. remove certain things for each type. so uh we've shared four of the ten uh here but there's six more in here so make sure you guys check this out and get it for your friends it's really like a self-awareness tool right it's like it is and the more self-aware that we can become about how we feel how we think our behaviors our actions the better we can perform in our life in all areas of our life i'm all about self-awareness and like just learning more and taking in everything as feedback and information so this is a tool that'll give you feedback again take the free test or the assessment get the book um what else do we need to know about this
1: um I think w- what we need to know right now is that we are in this unique moment in our history, like as a, as a culture, as a world, but also just personally, where a lot of us have a window that's opened up that says the world has been turned upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody is revisiting their reason for being. They're revisiting yes. their lives, their relationships, their work, their, their physical and mental well-being. And there's this like window right now where there is a level of understanding and forbearance for change that has been opened because everybody's in it together. It's been normalized on a way that it's never been normalized in our history, in our living history right now. But That window's going to close. Mm. The window's going to close. Uh, it may be a year from now, maybe 18 months from now, it may be six months from now. And once it does, you will very likely find the process of trying to Reimagine and going deeper, and then potentially making changes, potentially a lot less supported mm. um, or just a lot less comfortable for you. And I would just invite folks, whether it's a spark type stuff, whether it's your relationships, whatever it is, whatever domain of your life you're like examining right now, to not let the opportunity, the possibility, the magic of this moment um, go away. Don't let the window close without at least re examining mm-hmm. some of the assumptions that got you
0: here. Yeah. Whew, I'm liking this, man. I'm liking this a lot. A um, couple of final questions for you. Yep. Uh, before I before I ask those questions, is there a specific link for the book website? Um, everything is just at sparktype.com. Sparktype.com, yeah. the book. Yep. Good Life Project. Make yeah. sure you download the podcast. Yeah, and obviously the book is just all over, you know, all this stuff. Everywhere, yeah, everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Sparktype.com. Okay, cool. Um and you're gonna be getting back on YouTube soon. So Jonathan will have more <sighs> videos. Finally we are,
1: we are reanimating the thing that started That's like great. Good Life Project all the way back Eight, in twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. Nine
0: years ago? Yeah. Gosh, man. I know. It's amazing you led the way for, for video, like high quality video production for years. Yeah. You we ins- were inspired me.
1: We were all in. Um, and I just <laughs> felt, I fell in love with audio. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it
1: just, it just like worked for me. And now I'm like feeling the call to do something cool back on
0: video. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. It was a combination of both. You know? Yeah. Maybe it's not all video. It's part audio part for video. Sure, but for sure. so make sure you subscribe to, uh, Jonathan over on YouTube as well. Apple podcasts, Spotify, everywhere for the good life project. Um, Couple final questions for yep. you. This is called, I don't know if I asked you those last time, but it's called the Three Truths. Yeah. So, hypothetical scenario, it's your last day on earth, many years away. Mm. You've accomplished all your dreams. You've put the word meaningful work out into the world. You've made your, in, your unique imprint, has come alive fully. You've expressed it. Uh, but for whatever reason, it's your last day and you've got to take all of your meaningful work with you, or it's got to go somewhere else. Mm. And no one has access to your information anymore, all your videos, content, this interview. Books, gone eliminated unfortunately but you've learned a lot of lessons and you get to share three lessons with the world three final things that you would share mm. to be of service to the world what would be those three truths for you
1: so you would think i'd talk about this and i would talk about work uh-huh. and, and that is for sure my deep fascination and professional devotion but when you frame that question um my mind says um Meaningful to whom Um, and to me the the immediate answer my intuitive answer is to my daughter Mm. What would matter to her Mm -hmm. and the three things that come to mind are all related? um, Which is be love Mm -hmm. Do love and open to love You know be a a presence of loving kindness in your life to yourself be be loving and kind to yourself But also just be a presence of loving kindness to other people Mm. Even if you don't do anything just be that presence, right? Let it radiate from you. Do love. Like, do the verb of love. You know, like, make your decisions based on whether it will allow you to, to move into the world acting from that place and expanding that sense of love. Mm-hmm. And then the third one, open to love. A lot of people have a lot of trouble receiving love yeah, and true. kindness, yeah. you know? And I and I'm, I struggle with it, you know? Um We've known each other for a long time. Like, you and I are, kind of, like, I will tell you, Lewis, I love you. Right. You know, and you'll tell that to me, and, and we're good with that. But I'm not good with that with everyone else. <laughs> right, right, right. You know? Um, yeah. But as, as a, literally, as a practice for that, the, the sign line, like the automatic line on every email that I send, where it's just my default, is with a whole lot of love and gratitude. Even if it's like to, you know, somebody who's a CEO oh, and hmm. it's like a, a pitch or something like right, that. Right, right, right. You know, because I want to be that, I want to do it, Um, and I want to remind myself to continually open to it.
0: Oh, that's good, man. Be, do, be open to love. I love that. Um, Before I ask the final question, I would acknowledge you, Jonathan, for being an incredible friend for many years, 12 years, I think now, 13, 2008? Yeah, something like that. I think it's 2008. Go back. Fall of 2008, I believe. Um, Maybe it was 2009, I can't remember, but... I acknowledge you for, for showing up in many important moments of my life, for again, helping me facilitate an important conversation on my podcast about sexual abuse. And that experience that we facilitated just impacted so many men and women who were mm. listening and helping them heal. So I acknowledge you for being an incredible friend, showing up, uh, being just a wise spiritual guide for me over the years, and uh, very, very grateful for you and acknowledge you for the gifts you constantly bring to the world this book included and all that you're trying to help people uh, with the awareness about themselves so I appreciate you and acknowledge you for your incredible gift my friend thank um, you yeah of course before you ask your final question yes.
1: can I acknowledge you sure <laughs> because I'm going to put you on the spot to be open to receive your yes. love because I think you've been in the public eye a lot mm. people look at you and they see what you've quote built mm. they see this this stunning engine of impact they see the conversations you facilitate they see um, I know you as a person. Mm-hmm. I know you as a human being. I know you as a friend. You know, I know your essence. And I have for a lot of years. And I've seen mm-hmm. behind the scenes, I've seen you struggle. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen you go through a lot of things. I've seen you make decisions from profound integrity. And mm-hmm. not so much, just right. like we all have. We right. all go in all different directions. And then own them. And I've seen you have this deep devotion to self-examination and growth. And to constantly going back to checking in with your heart and mm-hmm. saying, "Is this right? right? Is this right? And is this like, is this coming from love? Is it coming from service?" Um, and I want to acknowledge you mm. for that because I think people see what you've created professionally on the outside in, but being your friend and seeing your devotion to your own growth, to the own expansion of your heart, um, it's been
0: beautiful. Mm. Appreciate it, bro. Yeah. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. I receive. I'm open to love. love. Thank you. Final question, what's your definition of greatness?
1: Mm. Greatness is the ability to close the gap between your felt and expressed potential. What I mean by that is, I feel like we all walk through life feeling like we're capable of more. Mm -hmm. maybe it's more love more relationships more achievement more impact more work outcomes whatever it may be i think a lot of us we walk through life having this feeling like there's something in there there's a potential there's there's like a hidden reservoir we can't exactly identify what it is but we know it's there and we have no idea how to unlock it and to me greatness is it's not a state we arrive at it it's 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 a path and it is the ability to close that gap between felt and expressed potential. My man. Yeah. How's it feels? Appreciate you, brother. Thank Love you. you. Love you too, brother.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure to share it, spread the message of greatness to a friend, post it on social media. And if this is your first time here, thank the person that sent you here and subscribe to the School of Greatness over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And also leave us a review of the part of the episode that you enjoyed the most or the biggest takeaway for you. And I want to remind you, if no one's told you lately, that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And I'm so grateful you took the time today to improve the quality of your life. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great.